0: In this episode of Tim Talk, we'll hear from a pioneer in organ transplant medicine among minority populations.
1: Thank you for joining us for Tim Talk. I'm Tim Dentry, President and CEO of Northern Light Health. I welcome you to join me as we tackle issues of racial, social, and medical justice. Our goal through meaningful conversation is to create a collective understanding of the issues that exist. Each week, we welcome a new guest to the table that can provide us some valuable insight. Today, we have a very special individual for you to meet. Our guest, and it's my honor to introduce him, is Dr. Clive Callender, a renowned transplant surgeon and professor at Howard University in Washington, D.C., He is a pioneer in increasing awareness of transplant medicine among minority segments of the population with a career expanding 50-plus years in medicine. In 1974, he founded the Howard University Hospital Transplant Center. In 1991, to increase the frequency of organ donation among African Americans, he founded the National Minority Organ Tissue Transplant Education Program, and today, it has over 50 locations in the United States and Trinidad and Tobago. Dr. Callender, is my honor and my pleasure to have you as a guest. Thank you for
0: allowing me to join you. I welcome the opportunity to-
1: I was so thrilled and excited and inquisitive on the kinds of thoughts that you could share with folks. I came up with not one question, but three that I put back to back. So we can, we can go back over those uh, if we have to, but let me just share this with you. And that is, I love to embrace my imperfections, my own imperfections. And I love to catch myself thinking about something that is initially very clear in my mind and I think very unbiased. But upon further reflection, maybe I can see a bit of bias in there. Not having read of your incredible experience and background in life's work until I was doing my homework for this podcast, I thought the topic for us to discuss was more on why minorities do shy away from transplants. But in doing so, I would have missed an opportunity to learn of the incredible impact that great leadership and education can have on making a difference in minority donors. So that's what I would like to explore is your leadership and how education really makes a difference. Because I read that you once said, quote, to be a doctor, you don't have to be brilliant. You have to care, be kind, and you have to have common sense. You also said, if you take a problem to the black community and give them an opportunity to become sensitive and give them knowledge to open the door, they will rally behind the issue. Just love that. And so here we go with my stream of questions. Can you share with our listeners what it was like to be a leader in our nation on such a big and complex issue? And how did you learn to make such a huge difference in so many lives? And what are the lessons you learned that would be applicable to this COVID time we live in, both with equity of access to health services and the vaccine in particular? So let's start with you and what it was like to be a leader on such big issues nationwide, worldwide.
0: It was very interesting in the sense that uh, it was clear Everybody including me that was an impossible task, but you see my life history is such that I've always dealt with impossible tasks and impossible tasks because of my faith in God uh, there's no mountain that you can't climb and there is no impossible dream and so I took on this task as I took on any other task, recognizing that there was little likelihood of me succeeding but uh, with my background it was something that uh, I had to pursue. With that in mind, uh, I began the task of uh, trying to analyze what the situation was, and I had a lot of people help me. Shared information. You know, the first time uh, they came to me with the issue, they came to me with the issue that 70% of the people on Dallas in the United States of America were black. Really only 3% of the donors were black. And so uh, they asked me to help with, with solutions of the problem. But as is the case when uh, uh, you're a minority, uh, they ran out of money and they couldn't come up with any funds to help them. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, myself and Dr. James Dayton went to uh, the president of Hobbes University. We were were given $500 uh, to try and unravel this mystery. And so uh, the first thing we did was go to the black community with uh, Dr. Bacon is a psychologist and he had an array of students. And we went to the Black community of District of Columbia to ask them to get the answer why is it African Americans are allowed to become donors? And point of fact, the work that we did between 1978 and 1982 gave us the answers. We, we found out two great important things. First, the reasons that Blacks feel reluctant really to become donors. And second, we come up with a solution to how to overcome uh, the uh, uh, mysteries that, that are associated with why. For we identified five uh, reasons. Uh, first, the information that we gathered was not made known to the Black community. They weren't aware of the fact that they were in such great need of transplants that because of their predilection to hypertension and diabetes, uh, they needed organs more than any other ethnic group in the United States, uh, having more hypertension and having more diabetes, four times as much as other ethnic groups. So we had to identify that as an as issue. The second was a religious myths and misperceptions. Concerned that in the great getting up morning, when you go to the early gates, you don't have your eyes, you won't be able to see grandmama. You don't have your heart, you only not have your soul. Uh, but we uh, Introduced them to the scriptures that indicated that Christ came to give us life. And so that in giving, you receive. It's in pardoning that you pardon. It's in dying that you're born to eternal life. So that uh, unraveling that mystery identifying that it is the right and proper thing for Christians to uh, give organs in life and uh, after death. Uh, the third was the fear that if I sign a donor card and I go to the hospital, it might be more than getting my organs and tissue than saving my life. Uh, and uh, so we had to overcome that. And what well, had to do with the basic fear yeah, that it uh, was about being used as a guinea pig because of the issues that existed in the past, the Seagy incident, the Henrietta Lack of that situation. And there other issues. issue. Uh, there was a distrust uh, of the healthcare community, So we had to overcome that. And finally, the issue of racism, recognizing that in this country and many others across uh, the globe, uh, racism is an issue of the belief that uh, blacks are different race than others. In point of fact, there is but one race. Uh, so that those were the five obstacles that we identified. But in our study, we interviewed uh, about uh, 20, patients And those 40 patients, when we first interviewed them, only two of the 40 were willing to sign a donor cards. But at the end of our, our sessions, all 40 were willing to sign a donor card. So we concluded that not, not only had we identified the problem, but we also identified the solution. And so with that in mind, we started the D.C. Organ Donor Program in the District of Columbia and uh, the metropolitan area. After that, we decided to use this between 1982 and 1986 and uh, were, were marveled at the fact that a uh, number of African-Americans and uh, we went into the community to educate and empower using the grassroots efforts that uh, I would identify from the civil rights movement with the John Lewis's uh, SCLC group, that it made a difference and the number of blacks doubled. This was the first black donor effort, and it was successful. And because it was successful, the Dow Chemical Company decided that they wanted to sponsor me to go across the country, 25 cities across the United States, to address the strategy of donors and the need for black donors. This we did between uh, 1986 and 1990. And here again, uh, the results were uh, sounding in the sense that uh, the number of African Americans who now were a way of how the successful of transportation tripled. The number of people who signed donor cards tripled. So as a consequence of both of these efforts in the black community, we decided that, hey, we ought to take this to all ethnic groups. And in 1991, we conceptualized. Uh, that, that, so that's uh, 1991. That's um, 30 years ago. We conceptualized National, donor, National Rye, uh Education Transplantation program. Uh, and this program was to take what we learned in the black community to all ethnic minority groups so they could be educated and empowered to address the number one problem in transportation yesterday, today, and probably tomorrow, the shortage of government. With this in mind, we went to Congressman Stokes, allowed us to uh, work with John Ruffin and uh, Louis Sullivan, otherwise he was the secretary of health care. And as a consequence, uh, uh, we were then funded from 1993 to 2010. Uh, this fund allowed us to take MOTEP, the National Minority Organization Transfer Education Program, to uh, 20, 20 sites across the United States, and all of the ethnic groups except the Caucasian population, all the minority education, minority groups. And this, these, these were successful. And The bottom line, and I'll share with you, the bottom line is that when we started the African-American donation rate, uh, there were 3% of the donors were African-Americans. When we started MOTEP, only 15% of the donors were minority. Today, as we look at it, African-Americans now are the number one ethnic group for donation rates uh, with more than 38 per million. In contrast with the Caucasian population, which has 38 over per million. So that we've gone from the bottom to the top. With minorities, we have gone from 15% to over 30%. So that from, uh, we can say that what we encountered which was an impossible dream. was made possible because of going to the community, educating and empowering the community to make a difference, a difference that had to be made because we were in such a need. And all we did was go into the community, educate and empower the community so they could make that difference.
1: That is so powerful, Dr. Callender. I really appreciate that. And a couple of things really rung true with me. First of all, you you mentioned unraveling this mystery. You start you started that beautiful description of all that hard work that went into it and thought process and analytics, but at the heart and soul, it was how do we make sure that we have more people participating in this and aware, uh, as you said, you know, the gaps are, are, um, first of all, un- unawareness and not made known. So, you, you know, you started with that and, you know, had to dispel myths and misperceptions. You had to earn the trust along the way.
0: One the things that we, came up with was that you have to go from awareness to action to accountability. We call that our triple-A effect. Now, it's not really enough to make them aware. You must make them take the action that's necessary and then you must hold them accountable. And so those are the triple-A effect that we employed. Of course, the other one was to love yourself, take care of yourself. If you wanted the communities to uh, adopt healthy lifestyles so that they would no longer need organs so much because we have to try to reduce the number of, of of minority communities that suffer from hypertension and diabetes.
1: Very good, you know, and and that's what I was going to really note is I di- I wasn't aware of the AAA the way you put it. I love that. I'm going to use that if you don't mind. I'm going to borrow that. I think I probably was living that anyway, and uh, but now I, I have something, I can market that. <laughs> now people understand it. I love that. I was going to emphasize the action that you had in, in your career. And when you and I met last week, I had mentioned that one of my childhood heroes was Johnny Unitas and, you know, quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. And he was not about big talk with no action it was all about action. Let your actions speak for themselves. I love your added component of accountability. That is absolutely perfect. And I think if all of us stay focused on the AAA, we, we could all make big differences in a lot of lives, that's for sure. And no matter what our aspiration is or the things that we're passionate about, that's really just, just fabulous. What do you think are the lessons learned now we're in, you know, it seems like you can't have a conversation with anybody without it having some tainted with uh, something about COVID, whether it's, you know, now it's it's more vaccine oriented, et cetera, but we're not out of the, the medical crisis yet. We, by the way, at Northern Light are really trying to dig in because we have more clinical data now especially electronic, we can do more uh, analysis of what are the medical injustices or medical disparity of service, of access, etc., that is creating the fact that a lot of minorities have a much higher infection rate, including right here in, in the state of Maine. And what are we doing about that? And what are we doing as a leader? we one of the largest healthcare organizations in the state of Maine. We want to partner with state government, et cetera, which we've done, I think, in a, in a very positive way. But as it relates to, you know, getting the vaccine out into the into the the community out into the masses how what what are we going to do to make sure we do that with action and with accountability so we aren't just saying you know first in line come on and and we we don't engage. We know we need to engage. So we're trying to do that in a clinically driven way. So as I heard your amazing experience, I'm thinking, oh, we got to do a better job with that, you know, dispelling the myths and misperceptions. We've got to make sure that we are doing everything we can to really build in accountability with all of our, our caregivers. So there's so many things that I was thinking, listening to you that are COVID related. What do you think of?
0: Well, the first thing is that uh, the similarities are just glaring because what we need is the same thing we did for uh, donation and transportation. We need to go to the community. Now, it's interesting for me to say it's kind of a paradox because with COVID, uh, the one thing you probably don't or or are fearful of doing is going to the community. But that's what you must do. Uh, by whatever means necessary. Uh, You must go to the community, you must educate the community and empower them to make the difference. Give them the knowledge, uh, help them to understand that 3,000 to 4,000 people are dying from COVID every single day. And in order for us not to be part of that group, we need to take the vaccine. So uh, the, the, the distrust is the same distrust that they had about donation and transplantation, And it was justified, let's face it. Uh, The experiences of the Tuskegee people, the experience of Henrietta Lack, the the Manhattan Project and the Duton injection, and then many other uh, reasons for the distrust are legitimate. But it is important therefore for us to take the ball and run with it and educate them and empower them to understand that in spite of all those things, you still must do the best thing for you. Uh, the, the thing that was most effective in my communication with the community was helping them understand it is for you, okay? I'm not here to do anything for me. I'm doing it for you. And so uh, the love yourself, take care of yourself component was to emphasize the importance that it is all about the community. And the, the, the most effective changing that I've encountered in my life is the community, but you must take the initiative and go to the community. And then you must educate and empower them to do the thing that is most beneficial to them.
1: You know, that that's really fabulous. And we have something called a brand promise at Northern Light Health, and it's making healthcare work for you. And you know what, we've had that and we've used that. and We try to live it every day, you know, and reinforce it. But I like you're helping me make that link to our brand promise, making healthcare work for you, of saying to the community, this is for you. You know, this isn't for us. This is to make us look good and go to the community. I, I love what you, you know, so many things that you said, doctor. I'm so honored to have this talk with you. It is what we as healthcare people must do.
0: Absolutely. And I talk to people, they're afraid to go to the community because they're afraid they get infected. Well, uh, we've dealt with infections from time immemorial. Uh, we've dealt with uh, uh, yellow fever, we've dealt with AIDS, we've dealt with everything. We've learned how to protect ourselves. So we have to protect ourselves and uh, educate and empower the community in spite of the obstacles. We uh, have always obstacles. Uh, what makes greatness is when you, uh, in spite of the obstacles, overcome adversity. And this is another opportunity for us to do just that. In the same way,
1: the donation yeah, absolutely and Again, you know, up up here in Maine, we have established a pretty good reputation for reaching out into the community. So we we've, we've been doing that quite a bit because we're more of a community-oriented health system and not a, I, you know, not a tertiary, quaternary kind of thing. We have a tertiary hospital, but we cover we provide care in the homes and we provide care in the doctor's offices and and every place you know beyond that through tertiary care and the like. But you know what? You know as well as I I do cuz you've been in healthcare for a while that our industry has a bit of uh, a mindset of well when when people are sick they'll come to us instead of we go to them and so that is what we're trying to to do so this this talk is helping us reinforce to our our healthcare team of over 12,000 people, you know, we got to go to where it counts. That's one of our, I started to to write up a list of uh, as if COVID is in the rearview mirror. And so what are our lessons learned? And that is a big number, like, what does that mean in the future? To me, it means we've got to do so many of the things that you've been doing all of your career, but we've got to go to them and earn their trust. We've got to go to the community because that's what we must do. We can't sit back and wait for more complex illnesses to come to us.
0: And it's all about love. This is what it's all about. It's a uh-huh. love for our fellow man. Uh, that the preached from time immemorial. It's more about doing, not uh, promising, but actually
1: doing. That is absolutely it. So, you know, just a, a couple of wrap-up thoughts here. And I'll turn it back to you for any wrap-up thoughts that you have. But, again, struck so many chords with me. I just got to say this, you know, as you said, racism, and in fact, everyone is one race. What you did is you took what you learned in the African-American community is what I heard you say, and you took it to all other minority ethnic groups. That is so powerful. So I want to make sure our listeners hear me underlining that and underscoring that because that is fabulous. To state it the way you did, and link it to love, and link it to your faith. In giving, you receive, and isn't that the truth? And if that is sort of, if that sums up our lives and our careers, then I think we've done pretty well.
0: You know, there's a, I, I'm a singer also, me, i a singer, but there's a song, "Eternal Life." That's one of my favorite songs because in giving, it to receive; in me to pardon and dying that you're born to your eternal life. And it's all about love. That's what I've been all about my whole life.
1: Here, here. Thank you. So, Dr. Callender, thank you for joining me for this very heartfelt and engaging conversation. I've enjoyed it so, so much.
0: You're welcome, and I welcome the opportunity to be able to share uh, my welcome experience uh, in a time that uh, is very important because it's the same issues that are unmasking themselves again. And it's another opportunity for us to show that we care for one another by uh, going to the community, educating and empowering, because that's what it's all about.
1: Thank you. That will wrap up this episode of Tim Talk. Thank you to you, our podcast listeners as well. Until next time, I'm Tim Dentry, encouraging you to listen and act to promote our culture of caring, diversity, inclusion, and, quote Dr. Callender, love. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Tim Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please go to northernlighthealth.org slash podcast. We welcome you to join us on February 18th, when Tim will speak with Dr. Kimberly Whitehead, co-chair of University of Maine's Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Council.